You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. And tonight we are continuing our United States of America series with the uh, pitch meeting for 2012. <laughs> the pitch meeting. <laughs> it, it really is. After watching 2012, it feels like he took notes on what people complained about the most and was like, oh, well, you didn't think I did enough. Well, here you go. Here's everything that you could ever want for 2012. It's a proof of concept for, for the film, 2012. <laughs> <laughs> they just decided to release it. It's his student film for 2012. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys hear this? I, I don't mean to jump into this immediately, but like, did you hear that at one point Trey Parker and Matt Stone had gotten a hold of the script for The Day After Tomorrow? And they were planning on making a puppet version of it and, go, and they were going to release it on the same day. Oh, that would have been awesome. Tomorrow. And they were going to film it like word for word, exactly <laughs> as it as it was written. I would have been so down for that. So down for that. Especially using their the voices they use for everything. That would have been phenomenal. Gosh, I know. I'm so sad that that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, in, in case we didn't make it clear, uh, we're, we're talking about Day After Tomorrow, which um, it's it's not my favorite Emirate movie. It's, you say not your favorite? It's not my favorite. No. Oh, man. I like it, but... It's not my favorite. Your your praise for this is less effusive than for Godzilla. This is <laughs> this is fascinating. <laughs> That's because with Godzilla, um, I don't think that it deserves the hate. Right, right, yeah, it's an expectation. Right, day after tomorrow, I don't think that it deserves hate, but it's very. Yeah, I mean, kind of, it's there, there's a reason that I started with uh, it's the pitch meeting for 2012. 2012 does everything better. Yeah, you saw 2012 first. I still haven't seen 2012, actually. It's so much better. I've, I've only seen bits and pieces of it from when I worked at a movie theater. Um, I, I, I've always been turned off by the runtime. That movie is so goddamn long. <laughs> oh, It is oh, so and, long. And it takes its sweet-ass time getting there. You yeah. mentioned before how the, the opening 30 minutes of Day After Tomorrow were rough for you. Uh, it takes It takes longer getting into... 2012 but yeah but then it's just like two hours of straight disaster flick so here's the thing with that though and something that we're going to get into that actually makes it a better movie for emmerich because with day after tomorrow it's just i emmerich movies need the setup like they need that good 30 45 minutes to give you the characters and the destruction and why you care and like to get into the all right now that things are happening how are they going to deal with it yeah, Independence Day, it's like almost an hour into the movie before the aliens actually attack. It's like 45 minutes in. Yeah, because there's just all of that setup that needs to happen. With Day After Tomorrow, it's like, all right, now that everything's happened, the movie's almost over. And I just, I, I don't <laughs> like how things get 
resolved but we'll get into that um all right so let's go ahead and uh and, and dive into this because that's already what we're doing let's start with dan this time dan what was your context for the day after tomorrow absolute first time viewing for me uh i think i said before where there was a time in my life where i was such a movie snob where i didn't want to watch popular film i was i was too busy diving into obscure shit and foreign films so Something like Day After Tomorrow was just not going to get my attention at all. It looked, you know, it looked like a sci-fi network film in the brief clips that you that you saw of it. As I had zero interest, even though I don't know why, because goddamn, I love Dennis Quaid in everything. Like he, he was one of my favorite actors in the eighties. Mm. So I don't know why I passed on this so quickly, but I did, and I didn't regret not watching it for the longest time i was never like oh man i gotta get around to watching that one of these days well i feel this now it's like hey i'm glad i watched it i I feel like with day after tomorrow that was kind of like the start of those like end of the world disaster movies you know more than just like the 70s where it's like there is a disaster and not (laughs) the like post-apocalypse movies but just like a all right, we're, we're just going to destroy the world with snow yeah. and then it, with fire. It and a then a towering inferno or a ship overturning. It's like everything's an inferno. Right. Everything is overturning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- there was just such a slew of bad ones. Um, and Emmerich movies are not bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> but unfortunately, they get lumped into uh, in, into some of those just groupings of terrible movies. Mm-hmm. But anywho, uh, Eric, what about you? What was your context? Um, I had actually seen this movie before, um, but I didn't remember any of it. Like when I was rewatching it this time, I was like the only like the only thing I remembered about the movie was just like the Statue of Liberty stuff and that Dennis Quaid rescues Jake Gyllenhaal. Spoiler alert. Whatever. Yeah. Who cares? Or it goes on a mission to rescue Jake Gyllenhaal. Who knows if he actually succeeds? (sighs) Man, Um, we are absolutely going to talk about that where I do not understand at all the hell he thought he was going to do when he got there i sort we'll, of we'll understand get... it afterward but anyway we'll um so yeah i'd seen this movie before i would have been like 13 12 or 13 years old when it came out so of course i was like all into like yeah stuff's gonna be blowing up and it's gonna be awesome and actiony and so yeah i remember watching it and liking it and then never thinking about it again just never thinking about it until Nathan made me think about it. <laughs> um, going into it, though, I was really excited to revisit it because, like, I feel like, especially like after Godzilla and the Patriot, um, the day after tomorrow did feel like a kind of coming home for Roland Emmerich because <laughs> Godzilla was like the disaster movie that didn't really work for me. The Patriot was like a really interesting kind of like, uh, you know, Emmerich trying to play a little like in a legitimate kind of drama sort of but also with his emmerichiness um so yeah it was exciting to go back to day after tomorrow that was just kind of like this unpretentious like i'm just gonna blow shit up for two hours and that was another thing too when i saw that like i was like "Ah, okay but as soon as i saw that the runtime was just at two hours and not like two hours and 45 minutes i was so stoked to see this movie i was like god i'm gonna get through this so fast (laughs) Uh, i I move from now on that whenever we refer to his emmerichness it's a gimmerick a gimmerick (laughs) okay good yes i like it i approve better uh i'm also thinking about changing the uh the motto of the podcast to video monsters making eric think about movies that he didn't want to that's true but you know what listen here's the thing a lot of times 
it's good. Like a lot of times I'm, I'm very glad that I thought about movies that I would have never given the time of day mm-hmm. un- until you like forced me to do it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I'd have to watch Godzilla for two times well, in a year. And here's the thing yeah. about that. And with coming Godzilla back 98, I should clarify. Right. Well, and with coming back to the uh, Emmerichiness of the Emmerich movies, Gimmerich, the, coming back to the Gimmerich. <laughs> I like Emmerichiness. You already missed it, Nathan. <laughs> I, I prefer Emmerichiness. Going back to the Gimmerich of Emmerich, um, that is why I wanted you to watch more Emmerich movies before you went back to Godzilla. Like, this isn't a Godzilla episode, but I'm going to turn it into a Godzilla episode. That is why one of the few reasons why I actually really like Godzilla is if you get used to more of Emmerich's Gimmerichs, then like going back to Godzilla those shine through a little bit more and it's easier to forgive some of the things that just do not work be- because the things that do work. Yeah. They, they work. I feel well like enough. it would be more like how it was for you guys watching, like how it was for you, at least Nathan watching 2012 and then going back to watch day after tomorrow. It's like, Oh man, like I've already seen what you can do. So like, why am I going back and seeing like you fumbling on your way to get there? Well, because with Godzilla, he does what he does. And just, just does, well, that's the thing. Like he does what he does. It just doesn't quite work as well with uh, day after tomorrow, especially after watching it after 2012, the things that he does, he does well, but there's a lot that he does. That's missing from day after I actually, tomorrow. I'll agree with that. There, there are a few things that I noted. I was like, man, it feels like there are whole chunks of this movie that they probably, that they shot and cut or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it feels like there's a lot of just afterthought with how things mm-hmm. are resolved. Uh, anyway, my context for day after tomorrow is this was the first time watch for me. And I was much like Dan, uh, for why I didn't see it when it first came out, you know, cause it was just like ugh, a disaster movie. The, the world's ending. Oh no burger. Like it looked bad. And this was one of the reasons that you know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, uh, like why I didn't love Emmerich movies for the longest time is because they kind of look dumb. Emmerich movies look really, really dumb. And then I watched them and they are dumb, but he does them so well that I just can't help but enjoy them. Uh, and I, I sent uh, Eric and Dan a text um, when I was watching Day After Tomorrow. I was like, watching Emmerich movies, it's like he says, all right, we're going to take a really stupid idea, but everyone take it fucking seriously. Mm. And that's why it's able to work is because the, the premise of Day After Tomorrow is dumb. But having Dennis Quaid like really go for it in that role yeah it, you you buy into the the premise of the movie he sells yeah. it there's an there's an earnestness to his movies that i think is uh i, I don't think he gets enough credit for <clears throat> yeah. yeah and that's what was lacking in godzilla it was lacking yeah, the yeah. take it seriously absolutely Yeah, because these could very easily veer into like sharknado territory with the mm. wrong actor in yeah. the lead you need you need someone who offers you know, maybe not necessarily gravitas because I don't think John Cusack has that. Uh, but like you said, they at least look like they're taking it seriously. Yeah. yeah, they've got like a good everyman quality and it doesn't feel like they're in a movie. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. something like Sharknado is always winking at the camera. And, yeah. But like those those guys, no matter how ridiculous it is, it's like they're still just playing it as if this is really happening to them. Mm-hmm. Here's the irony of using uh, Sharknado as the example. Ian Ziering voiced um 
uh, what's his name? Matthew Broderick's character in the Godzilla cartoon. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> and, and he does not it better. Sure if that's an upgrade or not. Well, it is because he's taking it. He's taking it like melodrama seriously. So like every line is like really important. You guys. So Dude, the Godzilla cartoon, I started watching some of it the other day with Owen. That Godzilla cartoon is kind of awesome. Yep. Like it really is pretty great. Yep. Mm. All right. Um, yeah. So is it after tomorrow? Uh, it was my first time watching it. Obviously love Emmerich movies. We've been going through this Emmerich series. So I had a whole lot of baggage going into it. And like I've already mentioned a few times, it didn't quite live up to it, um, which is unfortunate, but I do still like this movie. So, here is the Video Monsters review. While The Day After Tomorrow does have a lot of Emmerich's style, okay, since Day After Tomorrow does have a lot of Gimmerich's, such as mass destruction, a nerdy protagonist, a lot of short introductory scenes to set the stage, and a dash of humor sprinkled in, the fact that several of the plot points that are introduced that could really give this movie some depth either aren't resolved or feel like the resolution is just tacked on makes this feel like it's only about 80% of an Emmerich movie. The Day After Tomorrow is a fine movie overall. There are several highlights, but the lack of depth makes it far from the best Emmerich. If you're in the mood for an Emmerich destruction movie but don't have three hours to spare, then Day After Tomorrow will definitely scratch that itch. But if you're anything like me, it, it'll only leave you wanting more. All right, yeah. so let's get into this. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, wait. First, I just have to say uh, one editorial note. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't say it had a dash my hawk of humor, um, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> anyway, go on. Uh, <clears throat> wait. Okay, I've got past where you just said uh, dash me hawk. My, my girlfriend was like, is that the guy from Bones? When she saw him, I'm like, I'm like no, this is Ginger Boreanaz. So that is now he is Ginger Boreanaz. Oh man. Is it Mihawk or Myhawk? I wasn't sure. I don't know. Okay, okay. It's Ginger Boreanaz is what it is. <clears throat> that is perfect. Oh my god. Me and Myhawk. That should be a that should be a sitcom starring Dash Myhawk. It's me and Myhawk. Oh, it, <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, all right. Let's start where the, uh, Day After Tomorrow literally starts in the movie with that grand sweeping um, scene of the Arctic tundra with its questionable CGI. And by questionable, yes. I mean bad CGI that does not hold up. And by bad yeah. CGI that does not hold up, I mean, I kind of love it, you guys. I'm not going to lie. It does have a, uh, yeah. it does have this nice kind of like, for as someone who grew up in you know who came of age in the like uh early aughts it, it does have this kind of nice comforting quality it's like oh i'm going back to my childhood with this shitty cgi there was actually at one point um ali was in the room with me when i was watching this movie but she wasn't watching it so she would just occasionally look up every time something weird was happening and at one point she looks up and she goes wait are you playing a video game <laughs> <laughs> It does have that PS4 like cutscene quality to it. It does, yeah. Well, it, especially the fact that like a lot of the CGI is like the background stuff. You, you know, especially uh, again that opening scene of the Arctic, Antarctic, wherever they are. But like you see the sun setting in the background, and like it's trying to give this grand scale. It feels kind of like watching like old movies from like the 60s and 70s, where they would use the matte painting as the background. 
where yeah. like it's very clearly not real but except it, i love that like that i love the artifice of that well but that's the thing <laughs> is the cg in day after tomorrow to me it kind of has that same feel but with a computerized matte painting rather than a real one if that yeah, makes it's sense. just it's too smooth i think that's always the biggest issue with me with a lot of these cgi things is a lot of times it's too smooth it's not it's it's lacking in those kind of details that you expect you know there's always the I don't know if uncanny valley is the right word because I think that's specifically with human faces, but it does have that thing where it's like you know you're looking at ones and zeros. Well, it's an uncanny literal valley. Then it is literally, yeah, literally an uncanny valley of ice, <laughs> an uncanny chasm, an uncasmy valley. No, 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 that doesn't work. Nope, no. Nope. Gonna move right past that. Okay. Um. Yeah, and it's kind of weird too. Like it. I love the movie. I love the disaster scenes when it's focused, when it's on the ground. But like when you get all those wide shots and stuff of like the big destruction, it doesn't really connect with me that much, especially like what I'd mentioned or someone had mentioned before that I didn't uh, enjoy the first like 30 minutes of the movie or so that I was kind of bored with it. And so the first 30 minutes of it, they kind of have like the big opening where the crevice opens in the ice and some and dennis quaid almost falls in but you know he's not going to fall in because he's dennis quaid so it's like (laughs) because he has cool what like top billing on the movie second billing on the movie i'm pretty sure he's top billed yeah he's the star (laughs) of the film it's like you have if you had like dropped dash myhawk in there or uh whoever that other guy is i don't actually know um then maybe we'd like have some tension but the fact that it's dennis quaid jumping back and forth over this big gash in the ice is like okay whatever just setting the stage, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then when it gets into the like the L.A. sequence, this is the one that like really, really doesn't work for me because there's no there. There are no characters in the scene that have been established as people that you're following. It's just a bunch of random. They're just NPCs in the video game of this movie. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like I don't really care. There's there's a funny shot of like a reporter being like absolutely fucking destroyed by a billboard <laughs> not just a funny. billboard but a billboard of a naked lady and he gets hit square in the face by her enormous billboard boobies and it's hilarious <laughs> like it's a really funny kind of dark humor a bit of dark humor but like at the same time it's like la is destroyed and like people are like oh my god the hollywood sign has been destroyed and it's like okay i mean fine like I love movies, but like I'm also I don't have that much of an attachment to the CGI Hollywood sign. I think that Emmerich destroying the Hollywood sign first was a little bit of his pettiness coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's that's what it feels like. It feels like it feels like Emmerich being like, oh, you guys. It's so weird because he's like so part of the Hollywood system, but he kind of sees himself as an outsider, as like a rebel. Man, there is so much about Emmerich that it's just like, you're confusing, dude. Like, I love this aspect about you, but also that aspect isn't who you are, but also it is. But it's like he's the epitome of like a working Hollywood director making gigantic budgeted movies that make hundreds of millions of dollars. But yeah, he's the one who's like, ah, Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So you you mentioned some of those characters that like you don't care about them because they're just essentially NPCs. True. However, one of the things that I I actually do like about Emmerich's destruction movies is he put faces to the characters that die. Like it's not like in Avengers where it's just like, oh, no, a bunch of buildings have been destroyed. And then like you see on the news, like, you know. 5,000 dead in a New York attack. Like you don't. Yeah. So many action movies give you like a number 
to try to be like, oh, here was all this destruction. With Emmerich movies, he shows you, here's a person, and maybe they're going to be a character, maybe not. Maybe you're going to get connected to them, maybe not. Oh, nope, they're dead now. And that's, uh, I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but that's one of the things that I actually like about how he handles the intros to his movies with all of that Mm. jumping back and forth and why I don't feel like it's uh, spastic and why I feel like it actually works Mm. is because he's building the story with a bunch of different pieces and you never fully know which of those uh, characters are going to actually be relevant to the story and how many of them are just there to help set the stage and how many of them are there for destruction fodder. So I like how he does that because like the guy that um, the uh, uh, what's his name or not what's his name, but the character that is like the weatherman who like goes out on his balcony and it's like, oh, my God, the there's like three tornadoes forming over L.A. So I'm going to drive into downtown L.A., which makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Like uh, you yeah. think that he's going to be a character. You think that he's going to be important. And then a bus destroys his Porsche like flattens it and and it's not like in a um, fun scene it's such a fun scene and it's not like an independence day with harvey firestein where uh (laughs) the the car hits his but you don't actually see it happen this you see a bush a bush you see a bus flatten his porsche i do love the way that's shot like it cut it shows like the bus coming toward him and then it cuts to a shot of a television of like a chopper watching it happen Mm -hmm. And the bus lands on it, and then they have to add the punchline of like, "Oh, I hope nobody was in that car." <laughs> it allows you to remove yourself a little bit from the tragedy. <laughs> it, it does a little bit, yeah. It does make it kind of funny in a in a yeah. darkly in a very perverse kind of way, which I like. I like the kind of dark humor in his movies. Well, and I also yeah, like that he, his dark humor is showing up more and more for me now. Oh my yeah. god, I love it so much, and I also love that little bit of commentary of having a public transit system destroy a porsche you know like it fits in so well to that theme of uh of global warming and how humans are basically destroying the world and the you know jackasses who are driving their porsches rather than relying on more public transit like they are part of the problem i love the fact that that little detail because it could have been any other giant thing crushing crushing a porsche he's very intentional with a bus and yeah. so, like, it, it's those little pieces that I love about his movies and, and like, really add so much character. And his sense of timing, it, I, I feel like his sense of timing with uh, comedy mixed with action is so perfect. You know, because, like, every yeah, his- single one of those intro deaths... It, it's, the, it's that perfect timing of someone saying, like, oh, this thing isn't going to happen. Wait a beat. Then it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it is exceptionally well edited. I guess my issue is like, I do totally agree with what you're saying. I think that day after tomorrow is probably his weakest first act in terms of character introductions. Oh, sure. Because there it, it's weird because it has a smaller cast of characters than most of his movies do, but it also doesn't establish them as well up front. And the action yeah, I, in the LA scene isn't actually driving the plot at all. It's just, oh, we're going to blow up LA, and then everybody's going to be like, oh, I guess we need to pay attention now. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell you what that guy's actual job was, the Porsche guy, other than weather. He was he was <laughs> the guy. He, it's like he's the guy who, who goes out and then calls the news station to tell them what they need to report on. Like that doesn't even make any sense. 
Yeah, so like we have that in Maine, like with people who put cameras on their lakeside camps so that people know what the weather at the lake is like. Like, is that what his job really was? <laughs> I, I felt like he was like the Jim Cantori of L.A. You know, like he was the one of like the big meteorologists who like actually served a purpose. And he just had one of his weathermen in the, the office that night trying to bang his girlfriend uh and then gets destroyed by a tornado and man god oh yeah i forgot all about that that bad scene, choices they get you know yeah this is what happens you make bad choices and that that scene is yet another example to why i feel like emmerich really needs to make a horror movie not only uh you know following the vice before slice and dice uh the thing of they're trying to have sex and so of course they're going to die but also when the lights cut out and then uh, and then they slowly come back up and you have like that glow coming underneath the door and the janitor's like, what's going on? And he goes and opens the door. It, it had a, a sort of like Spielbergian framing to opening the door and having that glow coming through. But that absolutely could have been a, 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 a moment in a horror movie. That was a really striking image of him opening the door with the like skyscraper half destroyed, especially after that thing that just very recently happened with the hotel in Florida that had fallen apart and that literally <clears throat> people were literally doing that. The people yep. who didn't get out. Um, that was very, uh, that, that's immediately what it was evoking in my mind. Like, Oh my God, that's kind of horrifying. So I did like that bit. Like that was a really good way to kind of hammer home in a, in a character based way. I think like this is how destructive this force is. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, At least through character action, I should say. Right. And and again, like it's all of those details that I feel like he does so well. Uh, two other examples of comedy that I really, really loved. They're not important. We've already given enough examples. However, I love the Japanese cop that like after the hail uh, hits that car, he's just kind of standing there and then one hits him on the head. You know that he's probably going to die from that because that was like a softball sized hail. Oh, that would have caved in his skull completely. Yeah. yeah. But again, yeah, if it's an R rated movie, it would be it would be like a cannonball to the head and the Patriot. But it's again that perfect he's timing. He's keeping that motif going from film to film. Exactly. But yeah, it's that perfect timing of uh like here's this thing that just hit this car and looking at it just like, huh? Well that's weird. Thunk. Like it's it's such good timing and I love it. Uh and yeah. then bring it back to like actual characters so that we can get back onto you know like important things with this movie i love when dennis quaid is talking to not his boss but like that other dude um mm-hmm. and and he's the, the, the guy says something about like uh your son hates you and dennis quaid says my son doesn't hate me and then immediately is like oh shit i forgot to pick up my son that i was supposed to pick yeah. up this morning and and you don't need him saying that because again i feel like emmerich does such a great job of show don't tell but just that look on his face it's it's just done so well and i feel like he really does a great job of physically directing his actors to get that point across um and uh and yeah that brings us back to you know like actual characters mm-hmm yeah, I was very interested that they uh, made the vice president the bastard in this film. Like, it's a, it's a very unique choice to make the vice president the bastard. Yeah, and uh, they uh, very deliberately made him look almost exactly like Dick Cheney. It's weird how they did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I do think that's a really, that's a really perceptive little bit where it's like, we're going to have the vice president be kind of like, the shithead 
evil oh, yeah. government puppet because you know i mean even at this point in 2004 everyone was kind of like yeah we all know that dick cheney is really uh running the show mm-hmm. over there in the white house but like, he's the yeah. one who's kind of the puppet master behind all this stuff but and even then, with that, that totally tells you that that president is not long for the world yeah like, when you make the vice president the bad character then it's like oh sorry mr president you, you're gonna die <laughs> which i this is one of the things I, I mentioned earlier when it feels like there are scenes missing like there's a scene where they have the president like, they're like all right mr president we have to get you out of here and then like the next scene it's like oh uh by the way mr vice president the president's motorcade was just destroyed and it's like wait why yeah. didn't we see that well i mean he does the same so thing weird. in independence day <laughs> Where, like, he just tells you um, uh, wherever the vice president and all the joint chiefs of staff, uh, like, they just tell you, oh, yeah, that was destroyed. The entire government is essentially dead, except for you, Mr. President. Like, he, he does that a few times where he's just like, oh, yeah, everyone's dead now. So, you know, he's not he's not always perfect at show. Don't I think tell. it just felt weird because it, it's it immediately is, is like it's like, hey, we have to leave. And then immediately it cuts to them in Mexico or wherever it was that they had. They were seeking refuge at that point. And they're like, yeah, his motorcade didn't make it. It's like, you could have literally just showed us that. Like, I think in Independence Day, there's a little bit of space between it. And you see enough other destruction in between that where it's like, okay, that makes sense. Like, but he loves putting presidents in peril, though. He really does. And in 2012, more than just peril. Um, I also love, too, that like the president in this movie looks like it doesn't look like George Bush. He looks like Al Gore. Yeah, just really funny to me. (laughs) Yeah, and played by an actor I didn't recognize, which is again another interesting choice. That when you're casting the president, you're casting a nobody, really. Yeah, I don't know. No no offense to the guy playing the president, but I mean, it's not. You know, it's not Morgan Freeman. (laughs) You know, this isn't Deep Impact where the president has that gravitas. It really does feel kind of like a deliberate. I mean, you know, Al Gore obviously is famous not only for being the vice president, but for uh, and for running against George Bush, but also for making the Inconvenient Truth documentary about global warming. And so it does definitely (laughs) feel like Dick Cheney in the film. It's like Dick Cheney deliberately pissing on Al Gore and... And, and for uh, gorgeous being incredibly bland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dennis Quaid also comes across very gore esque. Um, yeah. Speaking of inconvenient truth, let's talk about the inconvenient plot point where, you know, that, that UN meeting, it was so first off, it was such a, a drastic shift from we're in the Arctic tundra to now I'm up here giving a presentation with a, powerpoint that like everything is just green like i I didn't understand why the projector was a solid green maybe he was trying to get across his point of being green maybe there were technical issues um but but yeah like that is the most here i'm going to explain the pot plot point to you scene probably ever it's it's such a weird choice to me because like it does feel like Emmerich is really trying to actually make a movie that's like really about global warming and like really trying to get the like here are the perils of global warming and why we need to pay attention. But he also makes it so absurd that it's yeah, it doesn't really work for me. Like it, he, he accelerates the time. It's a gradual process, but he accelerates the timeline so much to the point of absurdity that like. I wish the movie didn't spend so much time trying to explain to us all of this weather stuff, particularly because the science is totally wrong. Yeah, I actually <laughs> worried about that because I was like, you know, global warming is real. It is a real problem. And yes, these projections, it might not affect us, but it could be affect our children, our children's children, etc. 
And here he is going, well, you know, it doesn't fucking matter because it's hitting tomorrow. Yeah. Like, I feel like most people who don't believe in global warming would just go, see? They yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. It feels we like he's undermining the seriousness yeah. of the situation yeah. by trying and, to take it seriously. It's super weird. And and again, like this movie spends so much time trying to explain to you why all of these things are happening. And like at one point, Nathan, you said something about like you in our discord you posted a a meme of elsa from frozen talking about elsa must have been pissed and i'm like honestly i kind of wish that that was the explanation for this movie because i would have had to sit through fewer powerpoint presentations but and that's part of why is off by which in his science in this seems extreme to the the political norm and he he is off by a thousand years yeah (laughs) Yeah, at least in 2012 like they're only off by a few years and they're only off by like a little bit but yeah the day after tomorrow it's just oh this could happen in a hundred years or a thousand years but guarantee you it's gonna happen the day after tomorrow um Mm -hmm. which god the, the title of this movie kind of bugs me because like what are they referencing with the day after tomorrow is it literally from the time that he's giving his presentation to the world starting to end is that the day after doesn't matter uh, it made me wonder because the old the old nuclear film from the 80s uh, the day after mm-hmm. which you know hmm. really start it was put out on tv and it really kind of brought people around to you know nuclear war is bad here is why it is bad your face will melt off even if you don't get hit by the nuclear bomb radiation will make you disgusting and you will die a horrible death so i was wonder if this was like him kind of this was his warning about how things can go although way more sensationalized <laughs> compared to how yeah. it was you know the present danger in the 80s was nuclear war now it's global warming so i'm wondering if that's kind of a tip of the hat yeah, I, I would say there's probably some of that to it. I feel like too global warming is one of those things where it's so it feels like such an intangible threat to most people, despite the fact that we can very easily see ev- the everyday effects on. Are, are on, you saying that it feels like such an inconvenient truth for people to grapple right, with? Yeah, but everyone keeps. I, I feel like so many people are like, "Oh, we don't have to worry about it because it's you know it's it's in the future. It's the day after tomorrow. You know, it's like outside of the window of when we. You know, most people yeah. I think typically think of think in terms of like all right i'm gonna today i'm dealing with whatever is going on today and tomorrow and then thinking about tomorrow i'm not thinking about the day after tomorrow and then too like i one of the things i read was that uh you know they do name drop nietzsche at one point in the film and there is a a nietzsche quote where he talks about like it's like i am of today and of the has been but there is something in me that is of tomorrow and of the day after tomorrow and of the shall be talking basically talking about being a philosopher and how I'm thinking ahead and f- trying to be forward thinking. You know what? You just that, made this academic as fuck, man. Yeah, right. if that is why that's <clears throat> the the title of this movie, uh, I I love it like a hundred times more yeah. than, than I did. I do love, there, there's a, first of all, uh, speaking of humor, one of my favorite jokes in the movie is whenever they're talking, whenever they're in the library and they have to stay warm. So they're like conflicted about burning the books in the library. That was and my like, favorite scene of the whole film. It's so good. Yeah. Cause they're talking about <laughs> like, like you can't burn Nietzsche and they're arguing over it. And then the other dude downstairs is like, Hey, there's a whole section of tax code laws that we can burn. Let's do that. <laughs> like, that's so good. <laughs> Not only is that a great piece of humor, I am probably overanalyzing things. Cause you know, that's what I do. I feel like that was also like a, a piece of the message coming across of when the world is ending, 
what do you save? You know, I can, we talked a little yeah. bit about that with, uh, with the Patriot in terms of my pairing, putting it with Secret of Kells. But like, I, I feel like that's part of what he was saying in that scene. And, you know, like later you have that one guy saying like, no, we're not burning the Bible because it was the first piece of literature. Like the, oh, dude, there's I'm, significance that's, that to it. That is probably my actual favorite scene in the movie. That's such a beautiful human moment, especially because that character is an atheist. And mm-hmm. he, he talks about how he doesn't believe in God, but we're saving the Bible because it was the first thing ever printed and yeah and the written word is man's greatest accomplishment and just the way that emmerich deals with faith is fascinating in his movies um but but yeah like you have that scene of trying to decide what to burn and what not to burn and then he revisits it you know at least one of the time with uh with that bible scene later but like in that scene when they're arguing about whether uh whether or not to burn a nietzsche book and uh, the one guy's like no you can't burn nietzsche and then you have the guy saying there's tax law down here like, I feel like that's also Emmerich kind of giving shorthand for when the world goes to shit, laws out the window, finances out the window, like all of these human constructs of what society is and should be, those are going to be the things that fall apart the fastest. Mm-hmm. The things that we need to fight for, the things that we need to hold on, the things that we need to preserve are like what is is humanity what is the the purpose of being like how do we treat others like i i feel like and again that might not have been it at all that might have just been like ah, tax code nobody wants these big stupid books but like for me that is that's part of what's coming across especially pairing it with uh movies like 2012 where there's a very similar message uh because um john cusack is an author and one of the books that he wrote the main not really the main character because Cusack's kind of the main character, but like the main scientist, like he has his book uh, in, in his possession. And so like he talks about that in terms of this unknown author who's probably dead spoilers for a different movie that we're not even talking about right now. And unfortunately not covering in the series, which is why I'm talking about it now. He's talking about like this author who's probably dead, like his words are going to live on and be a part of society rebuilding itself. And so like, I, I do feel like, those Solely scenes because he was carrying it not right. through some grand plan he just happened to be reading it at that time right it's so like it's pure uh happenstance and the like what the uh, story that john cusack wrote is about is immediately relevant to what's actually going on in 2012 so you know obviously there's a lot of hey it's a movie going on um but emmerich i feel like has done that a lot of like you when the world goes to hell, you need to re- uh, retain humanity. Like that's why in Independence Day, when you have Judd Hirsch, like finding his faith again at potentially the the end of the world as the aliens are about to win. That's why with Godzilla, you have I, I don't know, Baby Zillas. I I don't know. He loses <laughs> it a little bit in Godzilla. Uh, yeah, that's the one where you lose your faith and then he restores <laughs> it with his later films. <laughs> exactly. That's why with the Patriot, you that was have, his whole experiment from the get go. <laughs> it's to really bring those expectations down so that people uh, can, can like his movies better. Um, you know, that's, that's why in the Patriot, you have Mel Gibson's line of why do men feel they can justify death? Like there's, there's so many of those pieces that Emmerich sprinkles into his movies that, I, I go back and forth on whether or not I think he's just like, hey, here's a thing that can be a movie for movie plot points to make people care about movie and how much of it really is him being like, you know what? This is an important message that I want people to get. And so I'm going to be blatant with it, 
but I'm not necessarily going to hit you over the head with a morality bat to like really drive home that point. And mm. I don't know. I, I feel like it's the former. I, or, uh, sorry. I feel like it's the latter. I feel like he is being intentional with trying to convey these messages, but also just subtle enough that they're not like a, oh my God, we get it. Move on now kind of thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, like we, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but Nathan, you and I talked about um, Emmerich's house and how he is <laughs> like a big fan it. of uh, politically provocative art and he has the weirdest, it's like, it's like how Guillermo del Toro's house is covered with like horror iconography, but his is just like weird ass stuff. Like he has a closet with a wax statue of the Pope. And he is like surrounded by copies of his own obituary. And he's got like a picture of Jesus with a T what's the, I can't remember what the t-shirt is. It's like a relaxed. I don't know. It's some, something weird, but he's just got like all these, with all this weird, like subversive provocative kind of art throughout his house. And I don't know if he really even, I don't think he's even like trying to convey a certain message. He's just kind of fascinated by people like bucking the system and doing something outrageous and so i think that he is like a pretty political filmmaker he just like smuggles these political these ideology things in his like big summer blockbuster movies in very subtle ways yeah i i think that his house like i think that he thinks all of the art is terrible but it's like this is subversive so it's going into my collection like, yeah. <laughs> he he he's subtle about his political stuff and but he just shoves it into very unsubtle movies <laughs> which is really interesting it feels like the perfect encapsulation of his personality and him as a filmmaker yep ah uh, man where, where did we even we started talking about something that like totally sent us down a different path with all of that and i don't remember what we were talking about um well let's go with this so i didn't like the first 30 minutes or so of the movie, but once it like once it finally gets to the point where New York is hit by the tidal wave, like New York starts flooding, I think that's when the movie really shines because it kind of focuses in on the characters you're really going to be following for the rest of the film. Yeah. Oh, um, that, that was part of it is, uh, you know, kind of reemphasizing what you said of like, I do feel like there are just major chunks of this movie missing. Um, yeah. Oh, that, that that was part of it with going from the tundra to the inconvenient truth. Like, I, I feel like there should have been a couple of scenes and there probably were bridging those two rather than, you know, I'm in the Arctic. Now I'm up here giving a PowerPoint presentation. And, and there's just a lot of that that I feel like is missing. And and maybe they cut some of the character developments at the beginning. Um, maybe. I, I don't know. But but yeah, like there's yeah. hardly any character development happening at the beginning. And then a lot of it in, in that second hour. But Mm. The second hour feels it, like it goes by so quickly. And it has just, a weird structure, the movie does. Like, it feels like the actual plot of the movie doesn't kick in until an hour in. Like, the actual plot of the, like, if I, if I were to describe this movie to someone, like, break it down to its barest plot element, it's like, this is a film that is about a man trying to save his son in a disaster. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's, like, the main thrust of the narrative. But it takes so long to get there because it spends all that time, like, Again, showing you the disaster porn of L.A. and then explaining all of the weather patterns, which you don't really need that much. And it doesn't do like in something independence that he does a great job of giving you exposition through character development. Right. Um, and I don't feel like this movie does that as much. It, it is it is a lot of like 
I, I'm giving you the cliff notes version of an inconvenient truth. I'm going to have, he's like, so maybe he was just like, so bowled over by Al Gore's PowerPoint presentation. He's like, I'm going to do that, <laughs> but in, <laughs> in a big budget movie. Yeah, and, um, and the weird thing about that is like you do get some character development without having to like very explicitly be told things like the fact that he and his wife are divorced. They never say that there is never a you're the one who left me, John, kind of uh, dialogue between them. There's never any we have to make sure to tell the audience that we're divorced. Like, it's just. Yeah, they, they just, it's just like a little thing. It's just, it's just like, yeah, he was he worked a lot. I mean, like, that's yeah. basically what she says. He wasn't around a lot because he had he was focused on his work. <laughs> yeah, and like you this can see another pattern evolving in Emmerich's movies. Now. <laughs> yeah. Like every film, pretty much has a divorced couple somewhere amongst the lead, mm-hmm. either divorced Man. or like dying. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's just that that just popped in my head. Now I'm like, wow, Independence Day, divorced couple near the top. Uh, this film divorced every film divorced couples 2012 i think right yeah 2012 has divorced couple uh patriot dead couple and then another (laughs) dead couple and yet like well divorces weren't really a thing back there i was gonna say there wasn't any divorce so we're just (laughs) way more death than divorce (laughs) we're just gonna (laughs) very true they all died too young to get divorced but like yeah emmerich does have a lot of family elements in his film Mm. but again like i Okay, I know that I sound like I am just heaping tons of praise on Emmerich and just like, oh my god, he is a god among filmmakers. And while that is not entirely true, that's also like, he is way better of a filmmaker than most people give him credit for. That's part of why we started our Video Masters series with Roland Emmerich, as opposed to someone that would be less <laughs> controversially a Video Master. But like, he, he includes family dynamics in his films in a way that makes sense you know mm-hmm. like the the relationship between him and his son it feels like a strained relationship that is <laughs> absolutely a huge piece of the movie but without being like i hate you dad you're the worst to like <sighs> then fully resolve things at the end it just feels like yeah yeah he's kind of an absent father like they still well, kind of have a connection jake, jake Hall's eyes do all the talking for that he doesn't need to say god you suck as a dad because you can just see it in the way he looks at him sometimes yeah, yeah but, like when his dad shows up to pick him up, he's just like, oh. It, yeah. But but then they of also, late, dad. Of course, surely. Yeah. Let but, me take the cab. But then they immediately too, have that like, scene. It they don't have a whole lot of like this. The in a lesser movie, it would be that like, oh my god, you're always late, dad. It, it just keeps yeah. it like pretty naturalistic and turn. And they also like it doesn't even make it like it's a broken relationship. Like they yeah. still have a good time and have good conversations. Like the conversation about him failing his math. Yeah. I think it's math, yeah. yeah because he's smarter than the teacher. Like that's a good funny line. And it's like you can see that they really enjoy being together, but they just have mm-hmm. this kind of estrangement due to his work. Yeah, and that was like the exact example that I was gonna go to is like oh, he's he no no no, that's good. Like that's emphasizing the point of like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is pissed at his dad because he's late again and of course he's pissed and you know Dennis Quaid is pissed at his son because he failed and he's smarter than that and then they have that little bonding moment of like uh, yeah you're smarter than your teacher how do you take that he failed me remember oh yeah like there, there's so much humor because that feels like a genuine reaction between two people that love each other that mm-hmm. just kind of have some problems um, and, and then like when uh, when he drops him off at the airport and Jake's like <laughs> don't worry about it dad like there's still some of that tension but then later talking about like what was his favorite vacation he mentions just being around his dad and 
So the way that Emmerich is able to to handle those family dynamics in a way that doesn't feel like I'm going to add melodrama just for the sake of adding melodrama, but I'm going yeah. to give you real dynamics and I'm going to give them they're obviously their movie shorthand ways of, uh, of approaching it, but I feel like they are, are genuine. I feel like they're real. And, and I just, I really love that about his movies. I think it's really smart. Yeah. Like the family dynamic thing works so well because he makes these big epic films, but they're really rooted in these very like simple stakes. Like they're very simple human. Like the plots are never like overly complicated. You know, this isn't a Christopher Nolan movie, despite the fact that, I mean, let's be honest, Chris Nolan stole some of the images from this movie for inception. Okay. Like, <laughs> come on now. Um, but no, like, I mean, it is, it's all very much rooted in just like these simple family dynamics and it makes it very relatable. It makes you like, it's a really quick way to get you to care about the situation. Like, yeah. get you to care. Not, I mean, you know, because again, like, that's why the LA sequence doesn't work for me because it doesn't have that thing that makes me care about the disaster. Well, uh, and, and then later on in the film, though, when it has just like that simple hook of like, yeah, I want this dad who obviously cares deeply about his son and the son who really wants to be with his dad, like, I want them to reunite. Um, yeah, because they're, yeah. they're not necessarily estranged. She's just trying to save him. And that is one of the reasons that Godzilla doesn't work is because it doesn't have that family connection. Like, there's no yeah. driving characters that you care about, but also why Godzilla is better than you think that it is because it does have those family dynamics because of Godzilla. With Godzilla. Yes. <laughs> Godzilla is the family that you care about. The humans are the villains. It's part it's, of what exactly. makes, Godzilla should have been the actual like the movie should have just been from Godzilla's perspective the entire time. <laughs> exactly. That would have been so much better. Um, I do want to talk about the New York flooding stuff. Yes. We keep talking about L.A., which I hate. And the New York flooding stuff just <laughs> to, it to, rules. to clarify, you hate L.A. or you hate that scene in the movie? The scene in the movie. OK. I've never been to L.A. I'm sure it's lovely. It's expensive way too expensive um, but no like th this is the moment where i really keyed into the film like as soon as new york starts flooding and they're having to trying to run to the library like that stuff is so good like again because it, it doesn't rely as much on the cgi kind of stuff it's just like you can see that this is like a big set that they built that they really flooded they had hundreds of extras in there and it's just a it's such a simple idea it's like hey um it's raining we're going to leave the city oh wait we can't we need to seek shelter let's run to the library before we get before we drown the water's rising things are flooding and the library in that area is like the smallest building in that section of new york it's like, it, it is, is kind of weird it is surrounded by skyscrapers and they're like but that's where the, they were let's go to the like four-story building <laughs> you but, know they're, they're I mean, it's a terrible choice, but they're literally around the block from Trump Tower, which is much, much, much smaller <laughs> and much, much, much worse and uh, much fewer books. Uh, and yes. and also yeah, they, there would have been no books to burn in that tower. That exactly. Sure. Um, I do think the library is kind of a weird choice, too, because it has like this big open mezzanine, too, which yeah. is weird that like oh, we're going to go into the place where the water could very easily get into this. building. <laughs> <laughs> yes it has the mezzanine also, however i don't like about like i love that you have the the scene with um emmy rossum's character I, I can't remember her her character's name but um where she like kind of turns around she's going to help those the family because she speaks french yeah um although i do it does bug the shit out of me that like she goes back to the taxi cab to get a purse and yeah. she can't 
hear the enormous, like, 50-foot wave of water coming toward her. And, I, and like, I wrote down in my notes, like, oh, obviously she can't hear it because the score is too loud. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a Nolan movie. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, she went. She didn't just go back to get her purse. It was because her passports weren't Passport, there. Passport, yeah. Which, again... One of the few issues I had with this film was sometimes they just manufacture peril for peril's sake. Yeah. When there's enough going on, like like with the wolves. The mm. wolves were the worst part of the film for oh, me. Oh, I disagree. I, I want to talk oh. about the wolves, but let, let's talk about that purse for a second, though. Yes, yeah. I agree that sometimes this movie just manufactures peril just to, you know, like keep upping the stakes as the movie goes. However with me overanalyzing everything, I feel like that was actually a really important piece of this woman and her kid who, uh, who were not American stuck in the cab. And, you know, like the, the cop wasn't able to talk to them. And, you know, like when they finally rescue her and she's like, Oh shit, my passports are still in the cab. The thing that, you know, if America survives, I am going to need to be able to stay here and like to the the thing that I'm going to need to be able to like prove who I am is in there. And so like, I I feel like that was actually an important piece of, yeah. Yeah. If America does survive the way that America treats foreigners, not always great. And so the fact that rather than just continuing to run because, Oh my goodness, my safety is all that matters right now. It's the, Oh, but if I survive and I, don't have what's in my purse i might not survive because america like yeah i do like that like that was i thought that was pretty because at first i was like are you kidding me you're going back for that and it's like well no i mean i guess if i were in that situation that probably would still it's just it kind of shows you like that is still a concern that is at the top of her mind even Mm. in impending disaster yeah and i'm okay with that i just need the giant wave coming at exactly that (laughs) because the water is still rising that cab is going to be underwater in like two minutes without that giant wave. I, yeah. I really so it's like ugh, a little too much peril for me at that point. You know, there's, she still can't see how she's walking, so she still can get the cut on her leg. You know, she can still struggle to get it out and get back in. So, but to make it literally seconds before like a 100 foot wave is, comes back, is a little too much. For me. Yeah, it is a bit. It is a, a it is a bridge too far. I I wish that there had been a truck that was playing Johnny Cash's How High's the Water uh, Mama, Six Feet High and Rising. I wish that that had been playing in the background. There would have been two on the nose. That would have been a beautiful thing right there. (laughs) No doubt. So, yeah, there's enough tension already happening. um, And, yeah, there's enough already going on. However... You mentioned the wolves, and I want to talk about the wolves because I love the wolves. Chekhov's wolves. Yes, I love mm. Chekhov's wolves. I love the fact that, first off, he shows the wolves early when it's like, oh, hey, cool, we're watching the thing because, you know, it starts out in the Arctic tundra and then, hey, these wolves sure are freaking out. Uh, and then yeah. later, hey, the wolves have escaped. It's like, okay, you've shown me those wolves twice. They're going to come back. They better come back or else I'm going to be upset. Emmerich does a lot of uh, a lot of setup and payoff, and I actually like the bit with the wolves. I like mm-hmm. that added piece of tension. Yes, it's not needed because you already have uh, the extra freeze coming down that just you know murders people instantly with cold. Um, it reminded me a lot of uh, uh, Vonnegut's um, uh, 
crap, I forget which one it is, but the one that has oh, Ice Nine, where yeah, it's just like uh, it, shit. Which one is that? Um, I've read that book. Is it God Bless You, Mister Rosewater? Is no, it, it's not Mister Rosewater. Um, it doesn't matter. I'll figure <clears throat> it out. One one of the Vonnegut books that is also very destruction heavy. Um, but yeah, so like I I like that added piece of peril. Not just because, like, okay, let's up the stakes again, but the entire movie. Here's the reason that I liked it. The entire movie, I kept thinking, all right, so the water's rising, but there's no water creatures? Like, where are the sharks? Where are, you know, just any of these other aquatic animals that would potentially be also causing a threat? Whereas, like, it felt like there was a a missing piece of nature in this environment. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not alive because the ocean is so cold, I would have loved to have just seen dead sharks being thrown through the city. <laughs> 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 well, that would have been Sharknado. Ice sharks. So yeah. I'm pretty sure there is a movie called Ice Sharks. Oh, I'm sh- I guarantee there's an Ice Sharks movie. Also, it's Cat's Cradle. That's the that's the Vonnegut book. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't remember the name of it. Uh, thanks for looking that up. Um, but so I liked having the wolves there because it added in that piece of nature, and it added in if this is going to be another ice age. These are the kind of threats that they're going to have to be dealing. These with. are the new apex predators. Exactly. And so I don't know. I feel like it made sense. I wasn't bugged by it. Um, yes, it was. Added I feel peril. like they would have been dead by that point because of the freezing. That's the the movie is super inconsistent with True. what can yeah. freeze. And what, like the I love the scene where the helicopters go out to the Antarctic and they mm-hmm. encounter the flash freezing at first. Like, that's really cool. The way that yeah. like the helicopters are freezing and falling. But like. I'm sitting here thinking because they talk about how it would have to be like negative 150 degrees for the for the gas for the fuel mm-hmm. copters to freeze, and I'm sitting here thinking like, so why didn't the humans freeze if ever if the entire interior of the helicopter is freezing? Yeah. Well, I mean, they the did when they started to get freezing? out of the helicopter. There was that nice little yeah. Once they get out of the helicopter, but also like the helicopter is not exactly that insulated, and if everything yeah. else inside, I mean, it's it's like a it's a silly Which, it's a silly criticism to have, but I thought it was kind of funny because well, to movie. me that made the whole trek with uh, Dennis Quaid's character just ridiculous. I'm sorry, he would have died. Yep. Washington oh, to dude. New York, walking <clears throat> from Washington to New York today. Well, he walks from ever Philadelphia. I I actually looked this up. It's 94 miles. That's still a hefty trek. 94 miles in a couple of days, which is wild. I did. I was thinking like, I want to see a sequel where like you get uh, Jake Gyllenhaal being like a kind of moody teenager at Dennis Quaid and Dennis Quaid. Like maybe he's had a couple beers or something. He's like, you know what? I'd. Walked a hundred miles through the snow to save your ass. You better show some appreciation. <laughs> I <laughs> walked. It probably up. was uphill both ways. It was, it was, exactly, it was uphill both ways. Like <laughs> that is the ultimate dad move. Like to, <laughs> it's so funny. Let's see. And, and Walking from New York to Philadelphia surprisingly would only take you about thirty hours. Not yeah. walking in the snow though. Like yes, that's that's gonna slow you down, and you're also not gonna walk thirty hours straight, and you need sleep. Yeah. And how I mean, does that, that temperature? Just from what I've heard, like from people who you know walk the Appalachian Trail up here, in Maine, yeah, you know, it's like a a good day is twenty five miles because of the uphill, you know, right. uphill and the elements. You put in 25 miles, you've put in a day where you're probably going to need to rest. But see, this just goes to show you how dedicated Dennis Quaid. Oh, and first of all, it's Dennis Quaid. I mean, have you seen Dennis Quaid? Yeah, just watched a movie with him. He's pretty badass. Actually, (laughs) almost with his shirt off. 
I actually almost watched Inner Space last night as I was going to bed. It's on, <laughs> it's on HBO right now. So. Such a good I kept movie. thinking, I was like, man, I, I miss I, I miss like movies where Dennis Quaid could be the star that are not like the kind of cheesy Christian movies that he makes now. Yeah. Um, yeah, bring back Jaws 3D, man. <laughs> Ice Jaws. He was the man in that. <laughs> well, and that's another piece where it feels like just part of this movie is missing. You know, like him being in the snow. Yeah, you don't need more of that because nothing was happening except for that one dude sacrificing himself which that's a great was, set piece when they great set the piece but it's also awesome kind of pointless like i, I felt really sad it's like no yeah. that guy that i know nothing about other than the fact that he's worked with him for a while why am i sad that he's dying like See, I, I was connected to more him. of the more of the powerpoints and put in more of the dennis exactly exactly just how difficult because honestly it makes other than that one death it makes the trek seem pretty easy yeah yeah, yeah, it, it, it's barely an inconvenience, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Super easy, barely I mean, yeah. an inconvenient I truth. Struggle. I want to see the struggle of him, you know, going through. Yeah, that yeah. it felt like that part was missing, uh, and I, I still don't understand what he thought he was going to do. You know, like he's just going to get there, and then so when he gets what? there, did his does... caller ID say public library when the kid, when Gillen <laughs> Hall called him like. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Did he mention that he was at the public library? I couldn't remember how, like, how he knew they were at the library. I think he got cut off before he could tell him. The conversation wasn't that long. Yeah, I I also was wondering. Okay, first of all, I love that payphone scene where he's in there and it's like the water keeps going up, and he's just like, he's like, I I don't care if I have to die. I'm going to be on this payphone. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It's like, dude, spit everything out you have to as quickly as possible. I know. Uh-huh. He's just like, he's like being very patient while his dad is tell- talking to him. It's like, it reminds you of like whenever you call your parents, they always have like all these things they got to tell you that because you haven't talked mm-hmm. to him in a while. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Dad, I'm glad that you enjoyed the day after tomorrow. Like, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like us on this um, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I couldn't remember if he ever said anything about it. I also questioned too, like, I don't know the geography of New York, but I thought it was odd that they walked past the Statue of Liberty. I was like, does that make sense if they're coming from Philly? Like, is that, nope. would they really no, walk? not at all. I didn't think so. Yeah, I thought that that was, but I, but I mean, you know, you got to get the Statue of Liberty in there. Right. You know, coast movie. Yeah. Of okay. Course, okay like, so the public I... library is right on the outskirts of, of course, it which is. also doesn't yeah, make the, sense the, because the, the wave comes in. From the from the Statue of Liberty and hits right there where the public library is then shown later on in the film. It would have been like the first thing hit, and also the water would have come from a totally different direction. <laughs> well, I mean, just as someone who has almost walked from the Statue of Liberty down to that area in one day, that itself is a torturous fucking walk. <laughs> so, yeah, th- this movie good, does good on, not good on Quaid's cardio, you know, trainer. <laughs> This movie does not give a good sense of time and how long things are taking. Uh, so, it, okay, it does make sense at the end since he was able to radio people and say, "Hey, there's he survivors." The president, yeah, fine. That makes sense. Fine, fine. But like <laughs> that, that I feel like is something that could have been told, or at least like shown a little bit better. Of like, like really focusing on him grabbing a sat phone as he's packing his bag. Like I feel like that's a piece that was lacking and and not there to yeah it doesn't it really doesn't parts. make it clear what he's gonna do until he gets there <clears throat> yeah and even so, then it's still like okay so couldn't you have just radio like that's what I was thinking I was like he walked all the way there to find his son but couldn't he have just been like 
called them ahead of time without going up there himself. Like he could have yeah, just like, called them and been like, hey, my son's at the public library. That's where, because he already knew where he, was, where he was at. Yeah, and like I get the fact that um, that maybe he didn't want to fly because he knew that the center of the storm was coming through, like whatever. But also, how did Arby's save him or Wendy's, whatever uh, fast food restaurant, how did that save him from dying? Aside from the grease fire, which also would have just burned the entire place down. Anywho, what I'm saying is uh, there were some poor decisions made of like, yeah, he could have just radioed and said, there are people still alive in the library. I know because I just talked to my son. Let's fly a helicopter up there. And then they could have also saved all of those other people that were just on the rooftops, which what were they doing on the rooftops? And I don't there's so many things. They heard the helicopters. They were flagging them down. Sure. I guess maybe no, I do like like it doesn't the logic of that doesn't bother me too much, though, because I do think it is such a good emotional hook that like, of course, you know, if my son was trapped in New York City and I had a way to get to him like, you know, and, and, and too, like it does. They get like a nice little scene, which, you know, it's pretty cliche or whatever, but you have the scene between him and his ex-wife between Dennis Quaid and his ex-wife where they're like, he's like, I have to do this. And she's like, I know like you, you get the sense of like, this is just in his nature that he has to, he has to be there. I I mean, it's sure it's not really done very elegantly, but it, it worked for me on a fundamental level. The, the emotional notes were there. However, uh, Will Smith stealing a helicopter makes sense. <laughs> Dennis yeah. Quaid saying, I'm going to walk to New York. Nope. Sorry. doesn't make sense. Or, or like when, uh, when the other guy was driving their truck through a blizzard and after they crashed the truck, then he turns on all of the headlights and spotlights. It's like, dude, what is the visibility in a blizzard? Turn on your fucking lights. I thought before. the headlights were already on. Like the headlights were, but they had like floodlights and like like that giant spotlight. And it's like, turn that on as you are driving through the blizzard rather than after you run into something. It is funny that he crashes and that he's like, he can still very clearly see what he crashed into, but he still turns the floodlight on anyway. Like, I feel like he was like, oh, well, I got to leave the car and I didn't have a chance to use the floodlight. So I'm just going to shine it around for a minute. Oh, it it bugged me a little bit. I do want to talk about um the immigration the to mexico evacuation yes which first of all i love the fact that when dennis quaid talks about like how they have to evacuate he draws that arc on there beautifully like he just he just <laughs> swipes his arm across the across the screen he's like there that's the line and i was like dude you would think that that would be a more strategic line he but he just draws a little smiley face across the united states and he's and, like there it is we're everyone below this line and i love that the scene later almost exactly matches that like when they're showing America, <laughs> oh, it does yeah i know it's just like dude how did you get it that right with a sharpie but uh, you're a off by a thousand scientist. years <laughs> he's so smart that's he <laughs> i did make a note that like um, unfortunately <laughs> yes <laughs> i made a note that unfortunately dan would uh no longer be on the podcast because he you're you're right in the danger zone but nathan and i we're in tennessee yeah. so we're, we were safe no he would have made it to the library yeah, you would have made. We have been in the library. We we have snowmobiles. I'd be fine. Okay. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you're actually used to the cold weather. I would um, I would stop at the LLB out LLB outlet on the way down. You know, get all my warm gear clothing. <laughs> you wouldn't We'd have to pay fine. for it. You could just loot it. Oh man, yeah. I did fr- I did forget to mention um, in the New York stuff. I one of the things that um, stuck out 
kind of stuck out to me was the fact that like even as disaster was coming, like they still kept trying to keep the homeless man out of the library because he had a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Like again, it's one of those weird kind of social constructs where it's like we're still I, again, that's very, I feel like very deliberate, like the way that we treat the homeless population as if they're a nuisance that we can't even extend them common human courtesy in a, during a time where the man could literally die. You know, I mean, he would be exposed to the elements and die. And they, and then like, even when it, later on in the, like when he goes into the library, he looks at that guard and the guard just kind of like shakes his head. Like, I can't believe you would let a dog in here. You're the like, worst. It's so yeah. so crazy. It's it's this weird. I, I love the little bits of that where it kind of shows like this, the way that society breaks down, but people still kind of cling to these arbitrary notions of what civilized people are supposed to do, even in a time of crisis. Yep. Oh, I, I totally agree. And speaking of people in times of crisis, <clears throat> let's go back to the immigration to Mexico. Yes, yes. Immigration. Because and again, another like huge political point of oh now america is in trouble let's go somewhere where it's safer let's all flee to mexico and then mexico shuts the borders and they're just like no no which is i i love that and that's such a interesting plot point and like that really could have been uh explored a lot more in terms of america you've been dicks for way too long now you're getting your comeuppance, but instead it's just like, all right, so they broke down the fences and they got into Mexico and then everything worked out just fine. And then it, it gets, they, they're allowed in because it forgives their Latin American debt. Like yeah. that matters for f- all. And he, like literally the stock exchange is gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is frozen over at this point. But, but yeah, the president like, oh, had to we'll, negotiate. We'll forgive your debt now. <laughs> Sure, yeah, and okay. so wild. And, um, but, but then, like, they just leave. Like, then nothing else happens at Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like, it. There were so many missed opportunities that I feel like there was more to this movie that was just cut. Like, I, I feel like I there's like a solid thirty a minutes. Because you know, least. like every single MAGA asshat person in Tennessee who complains about illegal immigrants crossing the border into the United States, you know, every single one of them would be up there with their bolt cutters, cutting down the fence to get into Mexico. Yeah. If we were in a crisis, just bolt like cutters, this. nothing, they would they be would. shooting at the See, fence to make a hole. That would be hilarious if they were actually stopped by the fences that Trump erected. <laughs> yeah. oh, man, like they just happened yeah. to go to that one, like five mile stretch that got built where the wall was finished. <laughs> you know? yeah. And they're like, <laughs> And they're, they're like, did anyone bring too, a ladder? All too unathletic to be able to climb over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, they start like trying to dig underneath the wall and you know, <laughs> build ladders and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and uh, Eric, you mentioned the fact that, or Eric and Dan, I forget which one of you said it, that they forgive Mexico's debt. And again, like there's enough of those other pieces that are thrown in, like when the vice president says uh, economy is every bit as important as the environment. It's like, OK, thanks, Jaws. We got that. Um, yeah, it's just as fragile as the environment. Just as fragile. I, I, thought, I thought he said important. Maybe fragile. I mean, it might have been. Hey, it doesn't matter. It a couple of times. Um, but yeah, like you have that piece of I, I, again, you have that back and forth between what matters in keeping a society alive is it keeping the people alive is it keeping the social constructs alive is it keeping money alive and so like there's a lot of those themes that are brought up which i do feel like make this movie a really good movie and a very fascinating movie and gives us tons to talk about there's just a lot that isn't then you know they they don't do much with it and and that's so frustrating because of how emmerich does do more with it in so many other movies 
and like that's why the the, the uh, my opening review of like it's it's a fine Emmerich movie. It's a fine movie. It's just not all there. It's because I know that no. you've done better, and the things that are there are good. Everything that we've been talking about, everything that I watch is like I'm enjoying this. There's just a constant. But where's this piece? Like, all right, you're immigrating yeah. to Mexico. Think- that's important. And then you don't come back to Mexico until the end where it's like, oh, yeah, we're at the embassy and everything's fine. And we're going to go save the people up in New York. It's like, wait, what? I, what? <sighs> what happened? There's too much missing. I, well, in, in my mind, it didn't bother me so much because the movie's less than two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> and so I, I wanted like, it you know to what? be closer it's to three there, hours. But at least I, I can get in and get out and and enjoy myself. I feel like it. it's like, again, once the movie like really gets going, like, which, again, unfortunately, takes about 45 minutes. Like, I think that last half of the movie is so good and so propulsive that I didn't miss it so much because, like, I was just like, yeah, this is the good shit. Like, this is what I want. You're playing the hits now, Emric. I appreciate it. <laughs> so and, and again, he does sprinkle enough of that stuff in there throughout that I think is really, you know, very interesting. Um, so, yeah, it didn't bother me too much. I guess I will say oh, one other thing too that I wanted to mention. Um, we talked about how they're evacuating everyone into Mexico, which first of all, the fact that at the end, their Dick Cheney vice president guy gives a speech, which is broadcast on the weather channel, which is really hilarious. <laughs> but like the way that he's like, yeah, we think the Mexican government for their hospitality and all that stuff. It's like, man, this is the most fanciful thing in this film. Yep. Like, this is the least believable thing that would like, can you, I was thinking like, imagine if this was, if this really happened and Trump was president, like, can you imagine him like thanking the Mexican government for accepting all the American refugees? Like, how would that even go? (laughs) It would probably be more like, well, they had to do it because blah, blah, blah. Like I, I did such a great thing by forgiving all their debt. (laughs) I saved the Americans. It's all good. It's all because of me. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, goddamn. The um, even though his speech at the end felt so contrived and so just like, man, things aren't going to work out that nicely. Everything isn't all hunky dory just because you know you forgave some debt and people broke yeah. down fences. No, there's still not enough food to feed everyone in South America. Yeah, you know? there's there's still going to be like some massive changes, and there's still going to be some end of the world level stuff, and the world probably oh, yeah. is going to end. All of that being said, that is another thing that I do love about the way that Emmerich handles the disaster movies. All of his disaster movies for me, like there's there's dread throughout, and especially with Day After Tomorrow and 2012, where it's not just aliens that you have the hope of defeating. It's not just Godzilla that is in a singular location. It's not just the invading British army that are just people like it's not just those movies. The, the day after tomorrow in 2012, it is the world is going to fucking kill you. How are you yeah. going to stop weather? How are you going to stop tectonic plates? How are you going? Like, you can't. You are doomed. doomed. Yeah, it's not evil. It's just a benign, or not even benign. It's just, a, it's a, it is a, an objective threat or like an impartial threat. Yeah, it is very, very much. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> and so, like, in that situation, it, there's nothing that you can do to stop it. And this is like the better version of the happening, where like <laughs> the wind is trying to kill you. Like the scene where, whenever the the flash freeze happens in New York, and they're trying to get back from the ship into the library, and the 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 flash freeze is like literally chasing them. Where I'm like, okay, 
this wouldn't happen but at least i like this better than the la stuff because it's like the threat is pushing the characters to do something it represents an actual threat to the stakes of the film that have been established and it's done really well like they're literally like running away from it but yeah i was thinking like man this is like the good version of what m night Shyamalan's trying to do in the happening <laughs> but like because because it's the good version and because emmerich is able to nail that dread like uh especially in 2012 and, and again to uh to some extent in day after tomorrow it's just i feel like 2012 is the vastly superior movie I sense that dread. Like I get that feeling of, Oh my God. Like if this were to be happening, what could, there's nothing that we could do. We're doomed. Humanity is doomed. There's a great bit. Oh, sorry. Do you want, do you have a, yes, but okay, go ahead. Emmerich puts so much hope into his movies and it's so weird because like the, these disaster movies that as I'm watching them, like honestly, my anxiety goes up a little bit, not because the movie itself is scary, but putting myself in the mindset of if this were really happening or, you know, like having, uh, having lived through the tornado that uh, went through Tuscaloosa back in 2012, 2011, 2012, uh, you yeah. know, that F five that just destroyed like eight States in a row. Nature will fuck you up. And, and it's scary and it's terrifying. And so like having some of that anxiety of, I recognize the fact that this is unrealistic, but there's also like just enough uh, real actually happening. Um, so, you know, like uh, global warming is really happening. All of this stuff is actually occurring, well, not on the same time. Uh, yes. Everyone above the line that Dennis Quaid drew in the air, uh, he was basically, he says their best chance is to stay inside and try to ride it out and pray. And my first thought was like, oh, I bet our friends in Texas know all about this from earlier <laughs> this year when their power grid failed and they were literally inside doing what they're doing in this film for like, how was it? It was like 12 days or something. Like yeah. it was a long Which is time. longer than it was in the film. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it, was. it was only about seven days in the film. And yeah. I've got and friends in Texas like and they... <laughs> it, they probably had a bit of a harder time than Jake Gyllenhaal had. Yeah, they weren't in a library full of flammable things. Exactly. <laughs> it's so it, like that was what really like hit home for me in that scene. It's like, man, this is uh, this does hit really close to home in a lot of ways that are pretty surprising. Well, and uh, Dennis Cotto is also saying that very much in a there's nothing that we can do as opposed right, yeah, like to like a saying. lack of leadership of just like, we can tough it out. We're, we're Americans. We're strong. You just stay inside and pray. We're going to make it through. No, there was none of that. It was a, they're doomed. The, the Northern part of America is doomed. Best they can do is pray. I guess God have mercy on their souls. Like it was a very, nothing can save them sort of stay inside and pray yeah. rather and than then the, uh, we can the ride politician it out. at the end tries to spin it into a positive one. Like, Hey, we got some good news. There's some survivors in New York. There's like, you know, a couple dozen people out there that are hanging out on some rooftops that we picked up in a helicopter. There's a handful of people that we didn't let die because of our inaction. Yeah. But despite all of that, despite all of the, uh, the government mishandled things, which again, watching this during a pandemic, makes it surprisingly relevant with the you could have listened earlier and saved a number of people you could aside from all of that stuff emmerich has a way of infusing hope into these disaster films in a way that to me feels genuine even though some of the scenes like uh, the vice president's uh, uh, speech even though some of the scenes themselves might feel contrived the hope feels 
genuine. And and I think yeah. that some of that is because of the way that he also handles those scenes, like with Nietzsche and with the Bible, where it's just like, this is what humanity is. It's not our tax laws. Yeah, sure, we need some of the medical books, but like the the way that the way that humanity is handled to me just it it, it fills me with hope as I'm watching you know 80% of the world get destroyed and it's such yeah. a weird mix and part of what I have just loved about his movies over this last year that was all that was the end of my statement there were oh, no I, 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 I was waiting to like, no I think that's the payoff of the earnestness of the film um, is that at the end even though all these horrible things have happened and even and he does and you know he doesn't exactly shy away from it even in a PG-13 film like you said he shows people's faces before they were obliterated it's not like just mindless destruction that's very intangible yeah um you know he shows you that but then he shows you the hope at the end because of these characters you've been following and i, I do like that even as contrived as it may be and as you know kind of like you know that most of the characters are probably going to make it to the end of the film but even though they do it's like that's what you want to happen so it, i don't feel shortchanged by it yeah uh that does remind me though i wonder if they picked up enough medicine when they were going to try to get the medicine to save his girlfriend did they also get enough to save that other dude who was bitten by the wolf <laughs> because There's, there is that is one thing like this movie i appreciate that this movie like once it has a very tidy ending where it's like okay yeah all the weather stuff is done now the the earth is is okay the air is clear again um it's a it's a reset but uh there are a lot of like dangling threads. Like what the hell happened to Ian Holm? Does it ever show if they survived or oh, not? I'm I, guessing they don't. Yeah. No, they the last thing you get of them is that one of them drinking the scotch because they're like, yeah, like you get, there's a nice little human moment there where he's like, Oh, I just wish I could have seen my son grow up. And he's like, well, at least he can. will. Yeah. At least yeah. he will grow up. And Oh my God. I've mentioned this plenty of times on the podcast, being a father of very young children. My youngest is uh, about to turn 11 months old. Yeah, that that entire very small, but that entire subplot with uh, with that black British the Hobbit size subplot. Yes, the Hobbit size subplot. Not Ian Holmes' character, but the uh, the the black guy that was there, like him being a new father. And again, like he doesn't super drive home that point. It's just like he fell asleep at work, and he's like, "Sorry, the kid kept me up all night." Okay, good. That's that's showing me enough about this character. And then you get like one other reference later. And then when everything's happening, like I could not not put myself in his situation. Like I could not avoid thinking about myself as that character. And it's like, ah, this is another heartbreaking scene. It's such a minor piece and it's so trivial in the grand scheme of the movie. But because of that father son relationship with Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal, because of these other familial relationships that are set you don't ever need to see his son, but just having him talk about it once or twice as being a new father. Like there was so much that was put into, uh, into that character that, yeah. Then when they all get drunk on 12 year old scotch and presumably die, even though they never show it, like it still hit me, but also it was really frustrating that that thread just kind of, goes away like that that it was one of the other, there, yeah. yeah it's one of those other pieces where it's like i come on like if it went by that quickly maybe they survived you don't know they, they could have made it through that possibly 
It's yeah, it's frustrating. Anywho, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, the sets in this movie are great. I love yeah. I love the ice covered sets. Looks good. Um, yeah, this is a pretty enjoyable movie. I, I like again. It, it took me a minute to kind of get get up to speed with it, but once it gets going, I I had a good time with it. Yeah, I I definitely dig it. Um, again, I feel like there's a lot of movie missing. Uh, I feel like it's eighty percent of an Emmerich movie, and for me watching it i wanted to watch 2012 instead because all of those complaints that i had of like are why didn't they address this why didn't they show this he he fixes that in 2012 and makes it a vastly superior movie he also makes it almost a three-hour movie mm-hmm. and that is what day after tomorrow needed to be for me to love it as it is yeah i really like it and if i have if i only have two hours to spare then day after tomorrow is going to fill that void of uh, like, Hey, I got two hours. I really want to watch an Emmerich movie day after tomorrow is like the only one that actually fits in that hole. <laughs> oh, secret monster holes are tight and gives me that ability <laughs> to, <laughs> to watch an Emmerich movie in a short period of time. However, that. however, if I <laughs> wanted a much more robust Emmerich film, I'm, I'm going to be a little frustrated with Day After Tomorrow. It's good. I, I really like it. I'm absolutely going to rewatch it, which leads us to the rewatchability. It is, I feel like, a very rewatchable film if I only have two hours. If I have more than two hours, I'm probably going to pick one of his other films. Eric, yeah, what yeah. about you? I My rewatchability is hurt by the presence of 2012. Because there's just so much more. If if I want to watch disaster porn, I want the money shot of disaster porn, and I feel that 2012 hits you in is, the face is, with it. Delivers that more <laughs> than <laughs> than day after tomorrow does. So sadly, it is almost three hours long, which hurts it. But I can just skip most of the first hour of 2012. Just get right into it. It's fu- it's funny that you say that because I think that's how I would rewatch the day after tomorrow. It's like I would probably <laughs> skip through the first like thirty to forty five minutes of yeah. it and get to like I just start where Jake Gyllenhaal's in New York and it starts flooding. Like that's where the movie really kicks into gear for me. Yeah. That well, stuff is so- is infinitely rewatchable. It, it I hate to use this example again because we used it with the Patriot, but this does seem like a perfect like if I'm flipping through the channels that I don't even have anymore and <laughs> I see it on like TNT or something. I'd be like, oh, cool. Day after tomorrow. Like if I, if there's nothing else on, like that's one I could easily put on and just like, w- you know, be watch it while I'm doing other things. It, it, it's, it's a definite check your brain. You don't have to pay attention to it. Well, just yeah. stop every once in a while. That's a cool fucking scene. I Absolutely. have a uh, full screen DVD that I can send your way. Uh, Did you say you have a full oh, screen DVD? Oh, okay. Yes, I do. Nothing, nothing. No, no. Please <laughs> destroy <laughs> that. I appreciate it. <laughs> The, oh, nothing makes that's that's the first thing you throw into the fire uh, if the apocalypse if the second ice age happens. well the thing about that nothing is pisses me off more than when i'm going to buy like a used dvd at like a you know a yard sale or something and being like "Ooh, i want a copy of that picking it up and it's like says full screen version i'm just like Ugh. yeah yeah <laughs> as, as soon like, how dare you even exist anymore as soon as a we copy of uh fellowship of the ring oh. not too long ago and I was so mad. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure I actually did just throw it away. <laughs> then I went because it was only like a buck or something. And then right. I went and just bought the widescreen version on Amazon. Well, I've got such PTSD from working at the video store when Blu-rays first came out and having to explain to people 
why there were black bars on the screen. Yeah. Why that was better. Yep. Well, when uh, when we first decided to do United States of America, uh, I was looking through my collection. I was like, oh, crap, I don't have day after tomorrow. And I don't think that it was uh, streaming anywhere at the time. I think it is on like one of the channels, like maybe IMDb TV or something. But I don't think that it was when we were initially looking at it. And so for the longest time, I was like, crap, I don't have this movie. How am I going to watch it? Because we need to do day after tomorrow because we're sticking with the destruction of America for United States of America series. Crap, 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 crap. So I kept looking for it and I kept finding the full screen. It's like, nope, I do not want full screen. Nope, 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 nope. And then like two weeks ago, I was like, shit, I still don't have it. Oh, fine. I'll pick up one of the full screens because, again, it's only like a buck. This one might have only been like 50 cents. I can't remember. So I finally picked it up. I was like, fine. (sighs) At least I can watch it. Uh, I'll put this one off until I absolutely have to. And then like a week ago. I found the widescreen. I was like, oh, thank God. I can actually watch this and enjoy it and not just be bitching about full screen the entire time. So I love, I love that you have this super incredible close. aversion to VOD stuff. Like you, you will never, you never ever rent, rent things. That's because I can buy it at a thrift store yeah, for right, cheaper than yeah. renting. I, I, I'm the same way. The place where I buy most of my Blu-rays and DVDs, like almost any DVD from the early 2000s they'll have used there for like two dollars and 97 cents mm-hmm. yeah and i am not gonna rent a movie for that same price when i can just go go to bangor buy it and then have it forever so exactly yeah i rarely i'm with you anything. i only even buy digital if something is like obscenely out of print yeah yeah hmm. it's, it's yeah, yeah so it's not that i have an aversion to buying it or renting it it's just if i can find it physically i'd rather have physical see anyway, and yeah. we can we can now use the excuse that we buy physical media and or books for future need in case the world freezes. Exactly. For future generations, you archive it. You can't it. keep warm with digital. <laughs> when when the world finally comes to an end and uh, aliens uh, are, are you know scavenging our world and trying to learn about the history of humans, they're going to find my library of movies and be like, oh. Yeah. Here, here are the sacred tapes that will tell exactly. us about this world. They're not going to have USB drives. Exactly. <laughs> they will, however, oh, have yeah. Blu-ray players and possibly HD DVD. Um, you can't keep warm with digital is maybe like the most like concise <laughs> yeah. like argument against digital movies I've ever heard. That's perfect. I, I think if Video Monsters ever does a t-shirt, that needs to be on the t-shirt. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Video Monsters, you can't keep warm with digital. <laughs> yep not just physically warm but you know warm in the heart yes exactly. uh we we also completely skipped over the entire um math bowl or uh, academic decathlon which mm. not important at all so oh, yeah. didn't need to be there however it also gave so much uh, character development and uh you get jake gyllenhaal later like he, he doesn't really care He's like, oh, whatever i only joined it because of this girl but he's also the smartest one on the team and like that gives you so much about his character of he knows that he's smarter but he's mm. not a dick about it but he's also not gonna shy away from it when telling the teacher that he's smarter and it's just i don't know th- there's a lot of character development in I like just the, little uh, things yeah i like the little subversion of the uh you know there's like the rich dude who's on the uh, other team who's kind of showing emmy rossum around 
and you get the idea that he like has the hots for her or whatever. And then there's a nice little moment between him and Jake Gyllenhaal later where he's like, why don't you just tell her how you feel? Mm-hmm. And then they kind of connect and then they, you know, that's how they, which, what, what happens to that guy? Is he still in the, does I, he die? He gets eaten by a wolf. I don't know. Yeah. When, when they first showed does him, he, not make it to the li- he does make it to the library, but they, yeah, I don't think they show there for him a while. later. I thought he went to the, um, to the ship with them to help get the medicine. Wasn't one he? Of the, I, don't I thought know. he was. Maybe he was one of the people that did that. Yeah, he. There were some um, other random people that stay in the library and heed Jake Gyllenhaal's warning, but they all kind of are interchangeable at a certain point. Once they start, once they start putting on scarves and hats and stuff, I can't tell which <laughs> one's which. <laughs> so uh, when when um, when that other guy was first on screen and like he's looking back at uh, whatever her name is, and he's like giving her the eyes, like yeah, I'm smart and I'm rich. His name is JD. And I literally put in my notes, does JD stand for giant douche? Because like he's <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, I'm spelling giant with a J in this case. <laughs> like you would not make the academic decathlon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I would not. Uh, but like, that's just the character that he is just exuding from the first time that you see him. Just like, oh, I don't like him. I don't like him at all. Then, then, then he's not a bad guy, which, uh, yeah. again, he's, he's, he's never an out. Yeah, he actually just tries to help all the time, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, he is actually genuinely just like wanting to show them a good time and he's not trying to get in their pants or anything. And he's there's also some interesting stuff in there, too, where it's like he kind of has this like fatherly abandonment issues yeah. where he has this nice penthouse but his dad's never there so he just has the run of the place and yeah which mm-hmm. also mirrors some of the uh not quite abandonment but just absenteeism of uh of dennis quaid in in jake gyllenhaal's life yeah. and you know it shows some of the money can't buy happiness because even with all of this money and having the second penthouse that's basically his his father's still gone again like there's so many of those little nuggets that emmerich that that emmerich use in his gimmicks uh and and that's why i love his movies all right yep eric <clears throat> yes what would you pair day after tomorrow with well nathan i'm so glad that you picked me first because i definitely prepared something for this this, this is I'm not the not beginning middle and end. Be making something up off the top <laughs> of my head this is not but, the beginning middle and end which we're going to do in a second uh, no no i know yes oh i didn't prepare anything for that either um <laughs> dan why don't you go first let me think about <laughs> this right. for a minute First one I'm going to go with, I'm going with modern disaster flicks that are severely check your brain at the door because nothing makes sense. So if you're going to watch one, you might as well watch them all. And I'm going to start off with uh, the poor man's Dennis Quaid uh, and uh, Geostorm starring Gerard Butler. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yes. Um, It's by no means a good film, but it's it's it encompasses the whole world you know with shit going wrong it's it's just a stupid disaster flip through and through and then if you want to get just a little bit of that separated family drama going again i'm going to go with san andreas where the rock needs to you know while the fault line is going and california's getting ready to float off into the ocean also with lots of flooding he's going to find his daughter and just reconnect with his wife i think he has a son in that too but alexander Alexandra Daddario was the daughter, so she comes to mind much quicker. Mm, sure. There was a son. Nice. Uh, for for my first pairing, because honestly, I've not actually spent any time thinking about what other modern disaster flicks I would pair it with. Uh, I'm going with a pun. I would yes. put The Day After Tomorrow with one of the worst James Bond movies, just so that I could call the double billing 
the day after tomorrow never dies. Good. Yes. A plus. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Is that your only pairing? Uh, that's the only one uh, right now. You know what? Uh, I'm going to go with a um, kind of taking a little bit from Dan's uh, San Andreas. Uh, and so, you know, plucking the rock out of that movie <laughs> and dropping him on top of a skyscraper. Mm. Uh, I, I thought you were going to say the rampage for some reason. <laughs> rampage would be a if, good, good one. If though. only the rock had rescued the kids on skyscraper, the the people in New York from skyscraper. <laughs> they, they're, they connect together. Yeah, he's the yeah. one going into the skyscrapers. <laughs> uh, yes, we're going to have the skyscrapers freezing rather than on fire, and he's the one up there saving them. Uh, no, the rampage or the rampage rampage would be great for a pairing with the first half of day after tomorrow like because you know all of that destruction of la which you don't care about it's still like fun destruction which i know it sounds odd to say but like all of that humor that emmer confuses into the destruction of la i think that pairs great with uh with rampage so yeah start with rampage and it ramps up to all of those giant monsters destroying uh is it new york or chicago i think it's chicago and then i like so then lead into uh day after tomorrow and then Godzilla, just to piss Eric off. Yeah, good idea. You know, it's funny that you say this, Nathan, because I came up with a great pairing, and it's a movie that I legitimately did think about while I was watching this. Um, so I'm going to stay very much on brand and say that the movie I would pair The Day After Tomorrow with is Titanic. <laughs> because, <laughs> man, okay I just that. love flooded sets. I just, like, again... Like every time I see a movie where they have built a set and just poured water into it, I always think like, man, I just want to go there and swim. Like, I just want to hang out on this movie set. And like, I, I wonder sometimes, like, do people when they're on these sets, do they just kind of like hang out and swim around and like enjoy the day when they have the day off? Like they just come to set no. even when they have the day off to go swimming. No, See, that right there would make the greatest theme park, though. I know. Uh, have you guys like, seen in was, all the pools had sets underneath them that you could swim through? Like have all you guys the seen pool, in Dubai, like, they opened up this like uh, they opened up this. It's like the deepest pool in the world, and you can yeah. dive down into like go scuba diving, and they've built like destroyed buildings and stuff in it. It's the most incredible thing, and I would pay. I would just give all of my money to these people to do this. It yeah. looks like the most incredible thing. They have an arcade underwater where you can actually go play arcade games underwater um eric would would you say that that hole is big enough to i don't know keep a monster in secret oh secret monster holes are tight (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love the idea that maybe there's like a you could do a scavenger hunt and there are some monsters hidden under there that you have to find (laughs) yes so titanic that is my that is my one of my all-time favorite disaster movies, uh, of course, and uh, I think it would make for a great pairing with the day after tomorrow. So, uh, because it involves ice and flooding. Yes. <laughs> so another one that I was honestly thinking about when I was watching, I I would pair it with the thing. Um, I would definitely yeah. watch the day after tomorrow first. So it's like, uh, and, and then there would have to be a little bit of like, all right, the thing is now just taking place wherever. Uh, but yeah, I would start with the day after tomorrow and the entire world freezes and part of what froze the world is an alien crashing into it. And, you know, like that broke off one of the giant ice chunks, which then froze the world. And um, and, and then that leads into the thing. They're drastically different in tone, but I still feel like that could be a fun double feature. Mm. Did you guys know that Geostorm is directed by Dean Devlin? 
Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. I did not know that the, either. Uh, producer and co-writer of, uh, you know, Independence Day, Godzilla. That's, that's I think it was kind of his, oh, well, well, he did a disaster movie. I can do one, too. <laughs> Doing my own version of The Day After Tomorrow. Honestly, it like 10 years later, but, you know. <laughs> I, I kind of want to see that now. I'm also very curious if uh, if Devlin and Emmerich, like, parted on, on good terms. Because I don't think they've done a movie together. Well, no, they've just not, like, written and directed together. They've been, like, producing each other's films, I, I feel like, for a while. So I don't think they've, they, like, the last one that they did together was Independence Day Resurgence, but they didn't do one together. Like, The Patriot was the last time Devlin had worked with them before that. Yeah, but, I mean, I, so they're, I, I don't know. They, they were just such a good pairing that I, I think I that Devlin was mostly preoccupied with the Stargate TV series. Yeah, and he did a lot of other TV. Like, I think that he did Leverage. Um, which like leverage absolutely has his uh, his writing comedy throughout such a fun show all right that brings us to our beginning middle and end dan you have I've a beginning middle and end right and eric you're still working on yours uh sure i'll figure something out all right dan what is your beginning middle all and right i am calling this my last temptation of jake gyllenhaal trilogy <laughs> starting out with donnie darko uh-huh where a young jake gyllenhaal is you know having some trouble with his parents just making his way through the world until the appearance of frank the bunny comes along and tells him that in 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 28 days the world will come to an end much faster than anyone ever expected dun 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 (laughs) you know yes all ignores him ignores him and the day after tomorrow happens where everything freezes and the world goes to hell um, but luckily he's able to escape to Mexico where it's nice and warm. Uh, but living through all that has kind of left him desensitized to the world. You know, he's just, he, he doesn't like what the world has become. He realizes that everyone is just really out for themselves and kind of shitty. And he takes full advantage of that by being a paparazzi because people need <laughs> news stories in order to feel alive again. So he becomes Nightcrawler. and as that film goes on and on he realizes that he 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 made the wrong choice everything has made him into a terrible human being so he decides to just let it all go and it comes back around to donnie darko he dies man and everything is okay the world never ends (laughs) it's beautiful i I supposed to follow that up i have one thing to say to that <laughs> is that from Bubble Boy? Yes, it is. is. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> awesome. How did you? Oh my god! You pulled Bubble Boy, just <laughs> waiting for a chance to have a chillin' all thing. Oh my god! What a now I really want to find a Bubble Boy pairing. <laughs> that's uh, maybe Bubble that's Boy, what it is. Bubble Boy would have survived the flooding. I'm just saying. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Like he, may, I like the idea that like after the events of the day after tomorrow he is so afraid of like the outside world that he becomes the bubble boy so that way he could survive any kind of like it, it could pre- like stop him from being frozen maybe it's like a a bubble that ins- insulated bubble is boy. perfectly insulated <laughs> he could float if there's flooding yeah i love this <laughs> do, do, do you, you want to go ahead and go with that with uh, your beginning middle and end throw in either something That's, before uh, day yeah, after or after bubble movies. boy also i'm gonna throw in like i'm gonna th- say that it begins with ghost ship and that that's the ship that goes into the new york harbor <laughs> or in the new york city awesome. sure. 
Those well, wolves wouldn't have been nearly as much of a problem <laughs> with the uh, new show. Eric, to you, I also have to say. This is awesome! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. Thank you. I just piggybacked so, off of Dan, but that's okay. Well, uh, my beginning, middle, and end is very similar to Dan's, but with uh, a, a different um, with a different ending, and also mine isn't so much a beginning, middle, and end as well. It'll make sense in just a second. All right, so we start with uh, young Jake Gyllenhaal who is I'm, I'm going to describe the plot and then I'll say what movies fill in these holes. Oh, secret monster holes are tight. Oh. So young Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal is on a plane to New York where he is. Gonna... <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. I recently got a, a new soundboard. I'm having way too much fun with it. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is on a, a flight to New York to go to an uh, academic decathlon. And on the flight there, there is massive amounts of turbulence and uh everything is just you know looking like the world is going to end and then the plane crashes and falls into you know the the middle of a small midwestern town where uh young jake gyllenhaal has to come to terms with just life and death and endless cycles of things and uh there's a giant terrifying bunny trying to tell him what to do and what not to do and uh, that bunny is trying to warn him of impending doom, and he doesn't quite take it seriously until said impending doom happens. And now, because he knows that the bunny was right, he wants to go back in time to try to stop that from happening, because what really set everything in motion with, uh, with the polar ice caps melting was biological warfare that was released into the world, which caused uh, just all kinds of crazy things to happen melting the ice caps and and forming you know diseases everywhere so this is not a beginning middle and end this is a constant loop of donnie darko day after tomorrow and source code where oh yeah perfect nice where jake gyllenhaal is the bunny and donnie darko but like that's also like a glitch in the system where that is also jake gyllenhaal trying to go back in time to warn himself about what's happening and because like you can't screw with the with with the continuum that's why he has to show up in the form of a bunny so that he's not actually interacting with himself and uh and and yeah it is just a constant loop that's great source code great movie it is i really like that movie highly highly underrated that film doesn't get talked about enough absolutely um you know what we didn't you know what? I was just thinking about like, there's got to be some kind of connection between Independence Day because Randy Quaid and Dennis Quaid are brothers in real life. I wonder. What, <laughs> I like the idea of like Roland Emmerich really wanted, to, like, he was originally going to cast Randy Quaid, but Randy Quaid was too crazy at that point. And so he's just <laughs> like, uh, can I? He calls up Randy Quaid. He's like, hey, do you happen to have Dennis's phone number? <laughs> so <laughs> reason. Just uh, just wanted to ask him a question. So here's yeah. how you tie that in together. Uh, uh, Randy Quaid, you know, went off to war and, and fought in Vietnam War. Uh, and that's part of what gave him his PTSD, along with also being, you know, probed by aliens. And Dennis Quaid was the pacifist hippie who was all about saving the environment. And so... That is why he started um, working in his what, what what's his stupid title? Paleo 
a meteorologist paleoclimatologist paleoclimatologist such a dumb name i wonder if that's actually a real thing it's a great name what are you talking about what's wrong <laughs> with you dumb uh yeah so these so, dinosaur climates so that is why he's trying to save the the world from a green perspective is because uh he was a hippie also i love that he's misting all of his flat uh, all of his plants when he comes back and then he lies down and he mists himself again tiny little oh, things. yeah that's a, that's a fun little detail yeah it's great emmerich makes bit great of movies character work acting whatever oh yep yeah guys it's been fun yeah we should probably stop talking yeah <laughs> that's okay though yeah we can we can resume our conversations you know like the day after tomorrow yeah yeah, we need could. a break. Yeah, <laughs> this is a terrible joke. <laughs> this is terrible. This is not going anywhere. We are committed to it, man. <laughs> we are just as committed as Roland Emmerich is to uh, his his disaster movies. Yes, Emmerich and his gimmicks. All right, uh, Dan, where do you want people to find you? You can find me over at my website hbo2frontrow.com and on Twitter at hbo2frontrow. Eric, where do you want people to find um, you? I am on Twitter at the Chimerican, which is T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I'm also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And you can follow me on uh, me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. Uh, you can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at the Gargoyle. That's G A R G Y L E because it is a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep coming back as we Sadly, finish up our United States of America series. Uh, just uh, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for Video Monsters. And even though our next episode is going to be wrapping up our United States of America series, there, there's still like half of his filmography that we have not yet touched. So eventually we will be returning to this and we will be doing a United States of America part two. I just don't know when that's going to be. It, it might be a thousand years from now. might be a hundred years from now. It might, might be, be the day after tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> i keep ruining your jokes i'm it's, so terrible i don't know why you keep me around ah uh, i don't i don't know either man you would totally feed me to the wolves to get away from them um no you consider it i i might consider it okay that's fair enough yeah i, I wouldn't throw you to the wolves I'm not that strong <laughs> Uh, oh man! But he would he would He'd leave me behind. You away from the wolves. So exactly. Yeah. You I would not put me be on a sled and drag me. I would not be dragging you on an inflatable life raft. Also, we totally forgot to mention that when the wolf jumps against that door that he closes, like somehow his head explodes and there's just blood yeah, all over the window. Yeah. Yeah, they were they're very they were like half frozen so they were very yeah, that's what I figured it was just very cold oh <laughs> man hey like you, you walk outside and like you just start bleeding because your skin cracks so much yeah sure we'll go with that yeah also I, I love the fact that their eyes were glowing like they seemed very supernatural so maybe uh your pairing with ghost ship was not wrong oh no the pairing should be with the gray Ooh. the liam neeson movie yes oh yeah those are the wolves from the gray Yes. Oh, that's, a f- that's another underrated flick like man what a good movie the gray is we we uh we should do a, a liam neeson series at some point we should um and not do taken because that movie sucks what? i'm sorry taken is not good it's fine it's formulaic it's- and neeson gets to go around to- killing it has everything the all-time it's worst fine. action editing in any movie ever made it is so bad i'm sorry that's not true the great, great though there, there are worse editing 
There are worse editings. There are worse words yeah, there's for worse me too. Editing. There's taken three. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just gets progressively worse. I just, Anywho, I, yes. How, how many takens do there need to be? Uh, all right. Yes. Keep coming for back. Token. T- yes. Token. No. Keep coming back for more of our silliness and uh, absurd takes on movies that are sometimes great, sometimes mediocre, but we still love them with uh, with very bizarre passions. All right. That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. And remember, kids, um, God, no, I, I had a joke, but uh, but, I, but I lost it. I was going to throw in that line from Groundhog Day with uh, put on your booties because it's cold outside. <laughs> but, but I butchered it. You should have gone with the uh, the more earnest, like, guys, let's take care of the environment. You know, <laughs> let's uh, let's just you know what Roland Emmerich did in this movie. This is like one of the first movies to ever uh, like he paid like two hundred thousand dollars out of his own pocket to uh, basically like plant new trees and things to offset the carbon emissions from the production of the film. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, let's go with that. And remember, kids, uh, go plant a tree. Be be a part of nature and don't be a giant douche spelled with a J. Speaking of trees, it's time to make like a leaf and get out of here. <laughs> Pull in some uh, boondock states, wow. make like a tree and get the fuck out of here. I was going more with Back to the Future. Oh. <laughs> I, I was going with the uh, f*** ass and how he constantly messes up his sayings. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in forever. It's... We should also... Uh, it's okay. Uh, but, oh, our podcast is about as useless as a screen door on a battleship. <laughs> Which, honestly, in the day after tomorrow, would be very useless in the case of the, the ship mm-hmm. that that dog's there i'd like to think that our podcast is just as useful as a library in a blizzard yes yes that one works i would be very conflicted to be in a library and like burn books to stay alive i would legitimately be like i don't know if i could do this oh i, don't I mean know. obviously i'm picking which books they, without a doubt I, yeah, yeah i would definitely there are some books that i would selective. go straight to it's like all right yeah let's burn these like we're gonna yeah. go straight to the uh, the like Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly books. Yeah, yep. show me where all your first. James Pattersons are. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I bet Nicholas Sparks burns real well. <laughs> what, only if you use him to start the fire. Oh man! Because you know sparks and flames <laughs> burning. I like how I like how Dan goes with the uh, the Emmerich approach of not being like too on the nose about it, and then Nathan. <laughs> Dan is the political undertones and Nathan is the disaster. He's like, yeah, you know, sports. <laughs> As I get more interested, I keep leaning in. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you, you could do that if you just talk softer. I need to find a... <laughs> you can, the closer I get, the so- I need to like lower my volume as I keep getting closer. Just get very um, seductive with the microphone. <laughs> the video monsters is now weirdly erotic. <laughs> oh, secret my... monster holes are tight. Oh. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> oh my god, that's so great. Oh, I love it so much.